going through uh, a series of uh, lessons here that John Hendry has put forward, put a lot of effort into these. They're, they're very, very good. He made a point last week that uh, this, uh, this lesson series is not necessarily designed for members of the church. He uh, alluded to the fact that there's uh, people that are uh, 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 agnostic and, and, and have an unknown, uh, uh, no dealings with the Bible or, or with uh, Christ or anything like that, and their, pure, their belief system is purely based on science. So how could he address these people and uh, from a scientific point of view and lead them to a belief that there has to be some type of order in the universe, there's some type of design, therefore there has to be a designer. And if there's some type of designer, uh, what does the Bible say about this being the designer versus other potential designers that are out there? So that's the lesson flow that uh, we're taking you through. Y'all are our guinea pigs for, uh, for this before we uh, go take it to some of the people that need that type of class. Uh, so I'm going to uh, deviate, though, slightly uh, tonight <clears throat> from those charts. I've added a few charts because uh, uh, I think we come at this from a little bit different mindset and view than everybody else because we're, we're not... Uh, uh, the, the Bible and Christ is not unknown to us. We're uh, very uh, uh, familiar with that. And so I thought that I would take a little bit deeper look, especially on this subject tonight's one that is... Uh, uh, very uh, near and dear to my heart. Uh, cosmology, uh, those of you that thought we were going to be talking about makeup and how to apply it, uh, this is not the right class. Uh, this is not cosmetology. If it is, then it's going to be a really different uh, look for you than you were looking for. But uh, <clears throat> this is uh, something that I enjoy talking about. Uh, it is uh, slightly tweaked, once again, from what we talked about, uh, but I think you'll uh, enjoy it just the same. My name is uh, Brad Whittington. I am the uh, Chief Technology Officer at Raytheon, which is an aerospace and defense company. And uh, I have degrees in mathematics and physics, uh, chemistry. I have an uh, advanced degree in engineering, and uh, I did not write my dissertation for my Ph.D. in physics, which is a big mistake. Any of you that are going after advanced degrees, don't stop just short. But uh, <clears throat> in doing so, we get quite a... Uh, quite a different look at, at the world and, and, and what we're talking about. And uh, just like everybody's life experiences, my life experiences drive me to different conclusions maybe than someone else would have because I've looked at things differently. I've looked at them from my point of view, things that have impacted my life, things that I've studied. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. Uh, and I think, though, what we're going to do first is we're going to start with uh, a movie As they prepare that, the uh, one of the things that I started talking about last week when we we had similar problems <laughs> was the uh, the fact that uh, you know do do we think that God is magic, right? You know what does magic mean, right? God spake the world into existence. You know do do we get the idea of somebody uh, uh, snapping their fingers, let there be light, and just there's light all of a sudden, you know, firmament, you know that kind of a thing. Is that that's kind of the idea we have of God? You know, maybe something like we would see in uh, uh, one of the uh, uh, Harry Potter movies or something like that. Someone with a wand out there conjuring worlds. And this kind of, is this how we view God? I don't think so. I either lost my slides or we're ready to play a movie. Still waiting. All right. The, uh, <clears throat> the uh, issue with this is uh, obviously we don't like the idea of a God that doesn't understand what they've done. The, the concept of God saying, let there be light, and snapping his fingers, and, and all of a sudden there was light without God understanding why that occurred or how he caused that to occur, it feels really wrong to us, doesn't it? God, God's not magic. And matter of fact, tonight what I'm going to try to show to you is, is God is the greatest scientist that there ever was. At the end of the day, God has an infinite way to put together the worlds that He's created, ways that He chose, ways that He did not choose. And uh, <clears throat> we will uh, uh, look at those. Trying to link to a file on your PC. Oh, we need to shut my PC down, huh? No, I need to take your PC back there. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, this is about to get very interesting now without my crib <laughs> 
we'll see how good a scientist I am. So uh, God is as this scientist. So when God's creating the world, God chooses a certain way to put things together. Now here's what's fascinating to me as a scientist. Once he has chosen those things, once he has, he has chosen the fact that gravity on earth is 9.8 meters per second squared squared, you know, falling to the earth, now God is beholden to that law. Otherwise things don't work right, right? So once God has created, what was that? Oh, Chase. It's in the bag. Once the uh, once God has created these laws, now we're set in stone. We have to work from those sets of laws. And so, for me, when, when, one of my favorite shirts when I was back in graduate school, I thought it was funny. There's there's four laws that govern are the starting points for everything that has to do with electricity and magnetism. We call them Maxwell's equations, and. Uh, there is, a, it's a big gobbledygook looking mess of mathematics. And at any rate, some, there was a shirt that people had said, and God said, and they wrote four Maxwell's equations down and said, and there was light, right? <laughs> you know, God understood Maxwell's equations much before Mr. Maxwell did and, and, uh, and long before. So God as this scientist to me is, is the vision that I have in my head. Uh, as I study and I try to, uh, take the field of, of study that I've chosen, science and mathematics, and talk to a lot of people who don't have the same worldview that I do. And uh, now let's see what happens here. And try to convince them that, uh, that God is, in fact, this great scientist. All right, what this uh, gentleman is uh, telling us is that uh, scientists have a problem. We're going to see this. Uh, the, the issue is with science, and, and this is going to start to make sense if we talk about evolution. It's going to start to make sense as we talk about creationism, ways that the earth might be created, the age of the earth, all of these types of things. Scientists have a real problem because as a scientist, we're looking to try to show something very factually, right? We, we want to come to a conclusion. Uh, several of our uh, teenagers are here. Y'all have all been in lab, right? You form a hypothesis. You go out and you do this in lab. You try to see if it's true. Hopefully things that bubble are supposed to bubble. Hopefully things that aren't supposed to blow up don't blow up, right? Those kind of things. And you end up writing a report on it saying this is the conclusion that I have come to. Whether or not it, it makes sense with my hypothesis is another story. So scientists have trouble with this. Tim, I'm just going to slide forward to the next uh, slide here. So at first, I want to talk a little bit about uh, setting some, some guiding principles here. First of all, uh, I, I humbly put forward to you tonight, as we talk about the age of the earth, as we talk about how the earth was created, these types of things, uh, first of all, the Bible is not a science textbook. Uh, the purpose of the Bible is not to, to collaborate or correspond or corroborate Science, that's not its purpose. The Bible's job is to tell us how to get to heaven, how to be good Christians, how to follow Christ. It's not trying to be a scientific textbook. So here's my guiding principles. Thank you, Tim. First of all, this discussion is set forth. Uh, I know some people are going to disagree with me, and that's okay. Uh, I'm not trying to be dogmatic about what I'm going to talk to you tonight about tonight. I'm not going to be intolerant towards anybody that's going to disagree. That's fine. Uh, secondly, I I'm going to speak to you first tonight as a Christian. That's the number one thing in my life. My second striation is going to be as a scientist. Once again, the, the Bible is not written as a science textbook. And, and if we really needed to understand the day, minute, second, or, or whatever, how old the earth was, God would have told us that. If we really needed to understand how the universe and the earth came into existence, it would be in the Bible. So <clears throat> I have uh, absolute confidence and integrity in the trustworthiness of the text of Genesis 1. I'm also in no way going to presume to say that I know all of the creation facts in Genesis 1 and what they mean. No one does. I do uh, admit to... Uh, possessing a, a kind of childlike naivete, naivete to the creation. I remember when I was studying physics, I was fortunate enough to have a member of the church who was one of my major professors. And when I would go into his office above the door, he had a bumper sticker that says, sometimes you just have to go on faith. 
There's things out there we don't understand. So I say all this to say the uh, agreement on scientific principles, how the earth was created, the age of the earth, all of these things are very fascinating things for us to discuss. They might lead some people to Christ to discuss those. Uh, It's important in my mind to better understand the mind of God as he was trying to create the universe, the world. But agreement on these is not necessary to go to heaven. We don't need to know the age of the earth in order to get into heaven. We don't need to understand how the world and the universe was created in order to get into heaven. So those are a few of my guiding principles here. So the age of the earth. I love talking about this. It's not within the realm of science. When we do science, I'm not trying to discover absolutes, especially when it comes to age. How many of you have heard of uh, carbon dating in here? Everybody's probably heard of carbon dating, right? Uh, dinosaurs. We're gonna, we got a dinosaur bone. We're going we're gonna to carbon date this thing. We're going to find out how old it is, right? They never say, ah, this, this animal died on June 24th, you know, uh, 7032 B.C. at 532 in the morning, right? That's, that's not an absolute that science possesses. We shouldn't expect that from any scientific method because the methods that we have and that we're going to talk about don't provide those kind of answers. And I'm not aware of any scientific uh, measurement tool that would, that would say that that's the correct thing. I'm going to give you that. If they did, I would be very suspicious of them. However, when two or more very different scientific methods agree and show in general the same kind of answer, as a scientist, I'm more likely to believe that. We've all uh, seen or heard court cases, uh, and, and we talk about how uh, corroborating witnesses, right? Well, I wasn't there. I can't be 100% sure. But if two people say roughly the same thing, I tend to give more credence to them and their understanding of the facts, right? So that's what I'm looking for when I talk about the age of the earth. Now, for many of the dating methodologies that we're going to talk about, we find that the earth is, is frankly, it's, it's quite ancient. It's very, very old. But do we even need to rely on science to come to this general understanding? How, how many of you have been to the Grand Canyon in here? My wife uh, is giving me a funny look right here. She, uh, when, we, when we moved out here, she, uh, we moved from Birmingham where you could go to Atlanta or... Uh, or the beach, or Gatlinburg, or you know, other places in just a s- simple day. It was easy. And when she got out here, we, uh, she was excited. She said, maybe we, can, maybe we can go to the Grand Canyon one weekend. And I said, well, <laughs> <laughs> so as far as it was from where you drove from Birmingham to Dallas, it's that far again, then we got another state to go. So it's going to be a long weekend. <laughs> but those of you that have been have seen how the Colorado River have, has gone through there and has cut weathered the rock down to create this fascinating uh, natural phenomenon, right? All of us have, have studied in science, are studying in science. Did this happen over the course of five years, ten years, a human lifetime, a couple of generations? No, this happened over long periods of time in order for this to occur, right? Same thing if we talk about water filtering through Carlsbad Caverns, Mammoth Cave in Kentucky, right? This, this takes long, long periods of time in order for this to, to be created. Stalagmites, stalactites coming up. Everybody remember which one comes from the top and which one comes from the bottom? Anybody remember? Well, y'all are just saying names. You got to tell me top or bottom along with it. Which one comes from the top? There you go. Okay, y'all forget. You know, we, we even see this on the, uh, on the moon as well, right? We have very detailed images of, of craters where impact has occurred on the moon. And when we see it happen, even as we watch it happen in real time, I have a very sharp edge on that creator, on that, uh, creator, on that, on that crater. You know, I have impact and I get a very sharp ridge line around it that I can see. But I can also see some where it happened a long time ago. And we have solar radiation, solar winds, and this type of thing that erode those real sharp edges to where they get dulled. And I see those craters looking much more dulled around the edges. So 
we feel that the earth is quite ancient. We, we see data that says it's quite ancient. And frankly, even intuitively to us, we would all agree that it's very, very old. It's just intuitive. Well, let's talk about that. And I've told you, I think God is a tremendous scientist. We've talked about how once He creates a set of rules, He has to live by them. And I even last week mentioned there's some things that God can and can't do. And when it comes to violating the physical rules of the universe and of this earth, uh, uh, God can do it. But the Bible itself addresses this. It's very specifically called out. What do we call it when, when God chooses to do this? It's a miracle. That's right. We're going to set aside the physical laws that govern this planet and the universe, and we're going to cause something else to happen. So this is, this is a very simple but effective concept. God creates something, and then He's, he's bound to it. Uh, I tried to come up with a good analogy if I... Uh, if I build something with Legos, if I have the Legos spread out on the floor, I can build anything that my mind can come up with. But once I start putting the shape together, I start becoming bound by what I'm put together, unless I want to tear it apart and start over and do something else. <clears throat> so, the age of the earth. Let's talk about this a little bit. So there's a lot of ways that we can look at this. Uh, we have radioactive decay is our, our most common way of doing this. Uranium, uh, lead, uh, thromium, uh, tin, uh, rubidium, uh, uh, potassium, argon, carbon-14. <clears throat> Let me let carbon-14 off for a second. The other radioactive decays, and these are very stable, very effective, very well understood half-life measurements. All of them indicate that the Earth is uh, three to four billion years old. <clears throat> okay, remember what I said earlier. If I start having multiple things tell me the same thing, then I'm going to start putting more credence in it. I have different types of ways of of dating the earth, and they're all telling me three to four billion years old. Okay, well, what about carbon-14? That's the one we talk about all the, the time. We'll talk about that a little more in a second, but carbon-14 uh, actually doesn't isn't effective here because its half-lives only give it out to about 45,000 years, and we feel that the earth at three to four billion years is much, much older than that. Carbon-14 is uh, also a uh, uh, something that, that measures... Uh, living tissue. It's a decay. Basically, whenever you breathe in oxygen, you, you blow out carbon dioxide. Uh, a part of that is a small element of it's uh, radioactive, the, the, the part that your, your cells emit, that, that your breath emits, this type of thing. And uh, we can very accurately understand that half-life. We, half life, we can very accurately uh, predict, predict the age of something that was alive. Tidal friction, once again, this is a a measurement between the Earth and the Moon. It says it's around 2.4 billion years old. Ocean salinity, which is an ocean salt, uh, the accumulation of salt in the ocean, says it's over 100 million years old. Very rough numbers there. Sedimentation says it's about 350 million years old. The expansion of the universe, the redshift, this is, uh, this is how we date the age of the universe. What happens is, uh, Professor Hubble, the Hubble Telescope, uh, <clears throat> noticed back in the 1926 time frame that uh, uh, we have something we call a redshift, which simply means uh, he, he observed that the universe is expanding and accelerating. And uh, he did this by, uh, uh, we talk about the Doppler effect. What's the famous example with the Doppler effect? We talk about ambulances driving towards us and ambulances driving away from us, and the siren sounds really different, right? You know, which way we're going. That's because of a, something called the Doppler effect, which changes the frequency of the siren and the sound that we hear in our ears. That's why it sounds different when it's coming towards you and when it's going away from you. Same issue, same thing with the universe, we see, as, as the universe expands, we see things shifting towards longer wavelengths. And oh, by the way, the longest visible spectrum wavelength is in the red spectrum as opposed to the blue spectrum. That's where the shorter wavelengths are. So we call it redshift because longer wavelengths in the red, right? Uh, 
And so just like the ambulance driving away from me or the ambulance driving towards me, I can use these shifts to date how long it takes to reverse engineer and come back to a single point in time. And that's about 10 billion years. Actually, it's about uh, 12 to 13, 14 billion years. For the Earth, this would say it's 10 billion. And then we have uh, a strict biblical uh, chronological look, which looks at the uh, genealogies and this type of thing, which says the Earth's about 6,000 years old. Now, this is an important distinction to make. When we talk about the age of the Earth, when people tell me it's about 6,000 years old, well, I ask them what they're basing that on. Well, we can read the genealogies. We can Okay, so you're telling me that man has been on Earth about 6,000 years. We're not talking about the age of terra firma. We're talking about how long man's been on earth. That's, that's the genealogy argument, right? So two very different things, and we'll address both of those. <clears throat> All right. We can see back there that uh, there's not 100% agreement on the dating of how old the earth is. But I do think if you look here, you can see that There's only one that says it's about 6,000 years old, and everything else says it's several hundreds of millions to billion years old. Okay, that's that's interesting. What does that tell us? Well, different samples would yield different ages, so it doesn't concern me as a scientist that we have. Remember, science is an absolute. I'm looking for a trend. The Earth is old. That's what all of these independent scientific tests are telling me. I can tell you on the potassium-argon one, uh, there are problems with them. The, the error of the potassium-argon, once again, I'll go back for us, the one in the, the middle there with the K and the AR, the error rate on that is 50%. But if it's off by 50%, that still says it's 1.5 billion years old. So as a directional course it still agrees that the age of the Earth is somewhere in the several billion years old kind of time frame. That's what this is telling me. Okay, interesting. Still suggests the Earth's that old. Well, if I had a 99% error in the potassium-argon radioactive dating, it would still tell me that the Earth is 30 million years old. So 6,000 years is just really starting to sound like an anomalous number for the age of the entirety of everything. Man, we'll talk about. Age of the Earth, interesting. To get to a 6,000-year-old Earth, you're going to have to be 99.9998% wrong for every single one of these radiometric-type tests that we're doing. As a scientist... That, that, that causes me a great amount of concern. That, that does not fit into any kind of statistical model that I would look at. That, that is confusing to me on multiple layers. Doesn't mean that that's not what happened. Refer to chart one, right? I don't pretend to have all the answers, but as a scientist, that seems like a whole lot of, I'm pretty sure. Well, what about life? Let's talk about carbon-14 dating. We, we've talked about that. What I can say is that carbon-14 dating says that life, not necessarily human life, but life, plants, animals, other things, has been on Earth for more than 10,000 years. And and once again, the science of the half-life of carbon-14 is so very well understood down to the nth detail, the the nth decimal point of how long the half-life is, it would be very... uh, very unusual if uh, if if it didn't the physical world didn't match up with the dates that we're seeing for life. There are limitations, there are errors, but uh, I, I believe that we can feel comfortable saying that science feels that life has been on the Earth for more than ten thousand years. So there's some people that that. Brad, everything you're telling us uh, sounds like you think the Earth's old, billions of years old. Life's been here forever. I don't like that. I don't believe that. And there are some people that still believe that the earth is very young. Uh, we had a conversation with my mother when I was talking about this, uh, that I was going to do this class. And uh, my mother is one of the people who believes that the, uh, the earth is very young. I'll show you specifically what she, uh, she doesn't know this is what she believes, but it has a name. 
And uh, we'll talk about that here in a second. But, uh, you know, one gets the general impression from the Bible that the earth's real young. Now, nowhere in the Bible do we find out when or how long ago the earth was formed. It's not anything that's discussed. Once again, the the genealogies talk about men. They don't talk about the first few days of creation. It is true that uh, it does leave a uh, a general impression uh, of the recent origin of men. Let's talk about that a little bit. Now, here's here's the issue. Some people want to believe in a a young earth because they think if if we talk about earth as being this ancient thing, we're going to open the door for evolution. That is a uh, an illogical and unscientific reason for uh, for believing something like that. First of all, uh, <clears throat> mutations, as we talked about last week, can and do occur. My wife was a, a biology major. We discussed, uh, you know, the frog with the uh, longest, stickiest tongue gets the most flies, and over time, all of his offspring, the long, sticky tongue flies, are going to be what dominates. Right? If I have a giraffe with a little bit longer neck that can reach the leaves a little bit higher. Over time, his offspring going to have exactly that. Those are mutations. Uh, specifically, that is called microevolution versus macroevolution. Microevolution talks about mutations that can occur during a uh, during a lifespan. Uh, this is not a debatable point. We can see these. We can measure these. We can observe these. We have. It's well documented. Every one of you can see that. As a matter of fact, every one of you has uh, the results of these mutations in your body and some of the organs that we don't normally use or wisdom teeth that we don't need anymore, rather particularly. It also is interesting. You can use uh, evolution's argument against itself. And you heard this a little bit in some of the videos last week. We talk about in order for life to evolve, there has to, in fact, be a life there to evolve forward, right? So at some point, there has to be a spontaneous generation of life. Uh, we'll save it for another debate or another day as to whether or not uh, spontaneous generation of life could occur from, you know, something that's not alive. I like the idea that I might have come from a Kleenex. Or a, a frog or a protozoa or an amphibian, take your favorite thing. Here's a summary of the views of the age of the earth, and I'm going to go through a few of these. I realize that's very difficult to read. But we have uh, something that we call the the literal view. This believes that there's uh, six 24-hour days in creation, so about 4,000 B.C. is when the earth would have been created. Uh, Time involves about 6,000 years. The objection to this is the earth uh, appears older than 6,000 years old, and uh, it uh, overworks biblical uh, 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 chronological statements uh, about the age of man. I have uh, another issue with this, and this is once again my issue. What, uh, and and this gets fundamentally to to the... that the cuts to the chase on this particular argument. Uh, I'm going to pick on some of our teenagers who's cho- chosen to join us. So uh, what, uh, when we say a 24-hour day, how do we get 24 hours? What makes the earth a day 24 hours? Come on, you know this. Amount of time, and you got it. What is it about? You got it. Amount of time it takes the earth to revolve one time, right? 24 hours. When was the earth created? Let me give you a hint. First day, light. Is there any earth mentioned in that? Where are you getting a 24-hour day? There's nothing to revolve yet. Second day, firmament. Okay, that's a debatable point. I still got a problem with that first day. The flood catastrophe. This is the same as the literal view. Oh, sorry, I skipped one. The, uh, the apparent age. This is my mom. This is my mom. The apparent age. Uh, same thing as the literal view, but there's a, a built-in age. In other words, uh, God built a mature earth. You've heard some people talk about a mature earth. 
And so we're still six to 10,000 years old, but uh, the earth looks a lot older. i got a lot of problems with this. That, that implies that God built that, bless you, that implies that uh, God built an earth whose intention was to mislead us. We have all of these scientific principles that we've discussed. We have fossils. We have all sorts of things like the Grand Canyon that have eroded. It feels like God's misleading us in this particular case. I don't understand why we would do that, why he would do that. That hurts my head as a scientist. The flood catastrophe, uh, this is the same as the literal view, uh, but that the, uh, the flood with uh, Noah caused all of these uh, geological issues that we've talked about and account for, uh, for how everything is settled out and everything's done. But uh, that places a lot of... Uh, a lot of impetus on the flood in Genesis uh, chapter 6. Uh, just don't see scientifically how everything can be accounted for because of the water and the pressure and everything that was under. Uh, so we have a successive catastrophe. Okay, if you don't like that, Brad, how about successive ca- catastrophes? There were several catastrophes, including the Great Flood. But uh, there's, there's nothing that would indicate that in the Bible. Uh, you're, you're reaching into some secular history for that. Okay, well, what about a gap theory? So this, uh, this, I don't, uh, this one hurts my head as well. What this argues is God created man and had it go for a while, and for whatever reason, that didn't work out. And so then we'll start back all over again with Adam. So all this time happened in the pre, uh, pre, I don't even know how to say it, Adamic, <laughs> before Adam. <laughs> Race? Don't don't think that. Uh, there's there's nothing uh, in, in the Bible that that places a lot of emphasis on. You see it right there in Genesis one two was and became. It, it it places a lot of emphasis in a translated word right there. I just don't feel comfortable with that. The multiple gap. Sometimes uh, this is confused with the next one we'll talk about. These are uh, six twenty four hour periods that have a lot of time in between those twenty four hour period days. Okay, that interesting. You have the uh, the day age, and as a, a very poor attempt at uh, some foreshadowing, this is this is something real similar to what I believe. And once again, that doesn't mean that's the right answer. It doesn't mean it's what you should believe. I'm offering this as my opinion as to what I've uh, the conclusion I've come to, and I'll talk about why here in a second. I believe that each day mentioned in Genesis is a, a geologic period of time, uh, not a 24-hour day. And uh, that would allow us to have uh, any amount of time uh, there. The problem with that is we have the Bible saying the evening in the morning is the first day. Reads like a very historical account. We'll talk about that a little bit. The uh, relevatory day, this is... uh, this is a, a weird uh, theory that I frankly hadn't heard of before I was uh, working on this. This says it took God six days to show Noah how he created the earth. So when Genesis says first day light, that means it took Noah, he explained to Noah a day how he created light. Uh, being someone who spent uh, about eight years studying physics, I, I really would like the crash course that God offered on light right there. We have a theistic evolution. Uh, this is one that is, uh, frankly, a lot of Christian scientists believe. It says that God created the world and then allows evolution to occur the way that Darwin would uh, have described that type of thing. The, the problem with that is uh, you have to look at Genesis chapter 1 very figuratively uh, in, in order to uh, do that. And then we have atheistic evolution, which says... Uh, uh, everything's just a great coincidence. God's not involved. Uh, so let, let's talk about uh, Brad's choice. Brad's is the day age, and once again, I'm not uh, here to try to convince you that this is the right answer. I'm telling you what my opinion and my belief uh, are, and then I'm offering the rest of this for you to study and form your own conclusions and have uh, healthy debate on it. Once again, I want to uh, refer back to the first chart that says, while all of this is interesting and all of this is very uh, uh, unique to understanding the mind of God, if someone came up to me and says, nope, Brad, it's six 24-hour days, I'd say, fantastic. Let's go say a prayer. Let's go worship God together. Let's get to heaven. Not necessary as far as uh, salvation occurs. So, 
Brad's opinion. I put that in smaller letters there. Uh, <clears throat> when we read uh, Genesis, the, the account of creation, whenever we see this, this word for day is the Hebrew word yom, Y-O-M. It uh, appears no fewer, it, no fewer than 1,480 times in the Old Testament. This is not a one-and-done word, very common Hebrew word. The issue is it's translated in an over 50 different types of words. Time, life, today, an age, forever, continually, perpetually. It's translated a lot of different ways. And so to say that it's strictly a 24-hour day, hmm, that's, that's asking a lot in my opinion. And once again, what about day one in our uh, 24-hour periods where we're using a definition that hasn't been created yet to define a 24-hour period? So that, that causes me some concern as well. So uh, for me, once again, I find comfort in the fact that uh, as, as God, as this great scientist, uh, and, and I can imagine God saying, wow, wouldn't a Grand Canyon look great right here? And, uh, but I've built with my Legos what I've built with my Legos. I'm, I'm under the rules of this place now. So... I'm going to put the Colorado River right here, and I'm going to wait a few thousand years and let that Grand Canyon show up and be something pretty spectacular. I'm going to make a dinosaur. Can't put man in there with that dinosaur. He won't fare very well against them. So I'm going to allow life to continue. I'm going to let the, the brownies bake a little bit longer. You know, as we, as we see this earth and how it works and how it operates... It makes sense to us that God wouldn't be able to, or because he's constrained himself to the physical laws of, of the planet, that he wouldn't be able to uh, just snap it and make it happen. He, he's violating the law. He can do that, but he's violating the laws right then and there if he does that. And so God sets something in place and says, I have to now, because of the laws I've put in place, I have to wait for a period of time now in order for this to get to where I can go to the next step. You don't have to look far in your Christian lives. Look far in the Bible to see this same kind of thing happening. We can see uh, places uh, uh, where uh, <coughs> Queen, Queen Esther uh, right, had, had to come along for a very specific point in time to, uh, to save the children of Israel. We can see evidence of this in and all sorts of uh, stories in the Judges, in the New Testament. Uh, and, and so it, it shouldn't surprise us that in the physical world, God has a similar, similar mental makeup. So, okay, Brad, uh, you know, may, maybe you have an argument. Maybe it's kind of old. But how was it created? Mm, okay. Right, we thought age of the earth was controversial. Let's talk about how it's created. So I don't know if we have this uh, video ready to go, Tim. Okay, we'll figure that out. That's okay. So this uh, particular uh, scientist was going to uh, uh, talk to us and was going to uh, talk about uh, the redshift that we've talked about earlier and how the, the universe is expanding. And uh, very interesting thing, uh, uh, redshift uh, physics once again, very well understood, very easy to measure, very easy to calculate. And once we understand the rate at which the acceleration is occurring and the frequency shift that's proposed as part of that, which we have that science down very, very well, uh, then we interpolate back to, all right, it's expanded out to this, let's pull it back to a single point. Now, the problem with that is none of us were around to know if it came back to a single point or not. But if it did come back to a single point, what do we call that? The Big Bang. Right? We say it's a Big Bang. Boom. There goes the universe, right? I have uh, my biggest problem as a scientist with the Big Bang theory is actually with people who say that this is not possible. Once again, in my view, God's a great scientist. He understands the physical laws that are necessary to govern and create and start life and everything else on this planet. 
I know I'm not that good. Who's to say God did not use a, a big bang in order to, uh, to start this? I just don't know. Uh, <clears throat> Wendy, how do we really know there was a beginning to the universe? I hope, I hope that's the video. <laughs> what we've been able to measure is that the universe is expanding. We see that... Um, ga- I'm going to start walking faster across there. (laughs) If you think I still have my train of thought after that, you're wrong. (laughs) So when we talk about this, the, uh, the, the Big Bang to me as a scientist, I'm perfectly comfortable with that. As a matter of fact... Uh, because I have no nothing else to uh, to base it on other than science. There's nothing in the Bible that that describes the how God created the universe. There, there's no mention of that in the Bible, and because there's no mention of it in the Bible, once again, if it was important for salvation, it'd be in there. So it's interesting to talk about, and we may disagree about it. But if we do, we're all going to say a prayer together and go off and. Uh, have worship service and go to heaven together, all right? But for me, the Big Bang makes uh, the most scientific sense. And once again, if I believe God is the best scientist ever, as this lady I think is about to tell us, if, 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 I, uh, if I make God the best scientist ever, and I'm convinced we know that there was a to, beginning to the universe. What we've been able to measure is that the universe is expanding. We see that um, galaxies that are more distant are moving away from us faster and faster. Um, This was a relationship discovered by Edwin Hubble in 1929. Um, In the context of Albert Einstein's general general theory of relativity, what this allows us to do is to essentially run like a movie running backwards um, and say, okay, how long then has that expansion been occurring over? And so if you extrapolate back, you get to a time when the universe would have been much denser, much hotter, and um, a time we refer to as a Big Bang origin for the universe. Now, is that the only technique that we know, or are there other techniques that can come to the same realization that there must have been some kind of beginning. Well, we see, for example, if there had been a Big Bang, an explosion sometime early in the universe, you ought to see uh, the remnants of the radiation from that Big Bang. And we do see that. Uh, You can predict, in fact, that it would be cooler now because the universe has been expanding in the intervening time, and we see the uniform background radiation. Now it's three degrees above absolute zero, very cold temperature, but we see it everywhere over the sky, which is uh, evidence for an earlier uh, fiery uh, beginning to the universe. So we really now have two totally independent sources of data. One is this expansion of the universe, run that movie in reverse. The other is the remnant radiation that, since it's from everywhere, had to be from everywhere. And so that's the proof of the that there was a beginning. So you have two totally separate pieces of data. In fact, there are more. You would predict that when the temperature was really hot in the early universe, you would form the elements, light elements like Mm -hmm. hydrogen and helium. And you can predict very accurately what the relative abundances of those elements would be. When we go out and measure those abundances, they fit uh, precisely with what you would expect if there had been a an early beginning in a Big Bang. And how about looking at the individual components within the universe, the age of galaxies, stars, rocks on Earth, uh, how do they correlate? They're consistent. So when we measure the ages of the rocks on Earth, they're three, four billion years old. Um, if we measure the ages of stars in our Milky Way galaxy, they have a range of ages up to about 12 or 13 billion years. So we have independent clocks that can give us estimates of the age of the objects that we see in the universe, and they are consistent with the same time scale that we measure uh, by measuring the expansion. So individual components, which may have formed at different times in the universe, all had a beginning so that each of these independent pieces of information, even though their numbers may differ depending on when they formed, all cannot be explained without assuming that they began at a certain point. Right. And you, of course, can't have objects in the universe that are 
older than the universe itself. That would be a contradiction. And so the, all of these time scales are, in fact, with uh, now recent um, discoveries. Um, so I don't want to get into dark energy, right? This is not the right time. But, but all of these measurements are consistent with uh, an age of the universe of about 13, 14 billion years old. So I, uh, <clears throat> once again, uh, uh, discussing the, uh, the expansion of the universe, different independent measurements. We have the expanding rate of the universe. Uh, we have the, uh, the background radiation of the universe. We have the heat expansion of the universe. Uh, all of these things, remember, scientifically are different methodologies that all come up with the same age. So... Uh, something that uh, probably should have taken uh, a whole quarter in and of itself uh, to discuss the age of the earth and, uh, and creation of the earth and how it's created, uh, we have packed into 40 minutes. So uh, here's, here's the deal I am going to make. First of all, uh, I think the Lord's Supper is prepared for anybody that needs to go take it. I think it's back uh, in the elder's uh, uh, office, right back out here, and the, they'll, they'll direct you in the foyer. <clears throat> the second thing uh, I got uh, fussed at a little bit is uh, we have some uh, we have some uh, uh, youngsters who are being uh, watched for y'all, and uh, they said you might have hours of material, but we have forty five minutes, and once we're done, they tend to run around and go a little nuts. So if you've uh, got uh, your kids uh, that you need to go pick up, now's a good time. Outside of that, uh, I will uh, quickly go through the rest of this, and then I'll stay around as long as anybody cares to stay around answering questions as best I can about uh, the age of the earth and uh, uh, how the universe was created. Uh, <clears throat> we've talked about the static universe, and this is just the beginning of the, uh, of the uh, uh, redshift. Hubble's discovery, once again, uh, I was off by three years but the redshift being real similar to the uh, Doppler effect. It is, in fact, the Doppler effect, and we can measure that very well. The Bible actually uh, uh, mentions the, the expansion of the universe. Uh, this is something we're going to save for a bit later because uh, when you're starting to convince these people that uh, only believe in science why the Bible should be the correct book, the Bible has several instances of scientific facts, such as the expansion of the universe that people back when the Bible was written had no concept of. So how is that possible? So we'll save that and a bunch of other examples for that uh, later study. The Big Bang Theory, we've, we've talked about uh, that, I think, and we'll probably talk about it a little bit uh, more. This is uh, a time scale of the, uh, the Big Bang Theory. Uh, what's interesting is uh, you, you, you heard this lady talk about how the universe's uh, temperature is about 3 degrees Kelvin. At 0 degrees Kelvin, we hit something called absolute zero and life ceases to exist. So 3 degrees above that is getting kind of close to uh, the danger zone there. Uh, that's roughly uh, negative 473 degrees, something 300, 473 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. So it's it's very 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 cold. But that's spread out over the whole universe. If I take that energy that creates that amount above absolute zero and I start pulling it back together, okay, when I get it to the size of the Earth, it's pretty hot. But remember, I'm going to condense that on down grain of mustard seed, it's blazing hot. I'm going to get it down to an atom-sized level. Very, very, very hot. And so <clears throat> when the, the, the Big Bang occurred, if that is in fact how God chose to create the universe or something like that, uh, we have a tremendous explosion of energy. Uh, something that, that I can't describe. I could give you numbers with exponents, uh, it's a very impressively large number. Uh, it would be something on the order of uh, 10 to the 500th suns, uh, you know, instantaneously, uh, temperature-wise. Uh, billions and billions and billions of degrees now. And uh, that's, uh, that creates a lot of uh, uh, unique uh, physical uh, occurrences to happen when, uh, when that happens. And so from that, we can imagine uh, a start of life. We can imagine uh, certainly uh, 
uh, stars beginning. Uh, we can imagine uh, planets forming. We can imagine uh, the creation of all of the elements on the periodic table. All of this spinning out into the uh, the the the, uh, the universe to, to form the universe. An interesting question, and one that I won't dare try to go into uh, today is what's beyond the edge of the universe. And uh, that's uh, something maybe another time if you uh, buy me a Coca-Cola and promise not to tell anybody what I said, maybe I'll talk about that with you. So this is uh, some of John's uh, points, and and we haven't seen uh, one of the videos that I know he wanted to show. I knew we'd just run out of time. But uh, we, we have some issues where uh, some, some of the best scientists have been wrong uh, about this. Uh, certainly, at a minimum, just like we saw last week with evolution, there's plenty of room for debate, and scientists certainly don't agree with scientists on what's uh, the correct answer. Uh, what everyone agrees to was there was nothing, and then there was something. And so uh, if there's a beginning, there has to be a beginner, right? Something has to cause it to go into effect. Something has to start this. Something has to knock over the first domino. Uh, For us, it's very simple. That's God. For someone in another country who's never heard of God and only knows science, we we would introduce to them the concept of this intelligent designer, And I think this is one more movie. Here's some key points. There was a beginning. This is in this last movie that we uh, didn't see. Uh, Initial matter was a liquid cork soup. That's a fallacy. That is a uh, a key point that uh, we we show that this is incorrect, uh, some of the scientific thinking. And then uh, the future was determined in the first second. Actually... Uh, this is this is just like the dual nature of evolution that we've talked about, where we're okay with microevolution or mutations. We we don't think that we came from a single protoplasm or apes or anything like that. That's macroevolution. <clears throat> Everything was determined in the first, actually the first fraction of a second, the first millisecond. But in this particular case, what he's talking about from the video that we saw is it's, de- it's a deterministic view. Your life, whether you're saved or not, what's going to happen in the universe, everything was predicted early. Uh, you really don't have any choice in anything, and, and we know that's not the case. Uh, that said, from a Big Bang perspective, from a purely scientific perspective, uh, in fact, uh, that, that was the case. You know, the planets, what were going to be planets became planets. What were going to be the periodic table became the periodic table. Uh, and once again, it goes back to my assertion and my opinion that God is the best scientist ever. And he knew how to do this so that he could establish this initial set of laws so that his hands weren't tied. He could do, use his Lego blocks to build whatever it was he needed to build with the perfect understanding that only he has and that we will never have. So, all of that said, uh, why don't I see if there's uh, anybody who would like to ask a question or make a comment? Wow, that, I knocked it out of the ballpark. A complete understanding of Genesis 1. Okay, there we go. You made, you made several, several things about the uh, age of the earth and how, it, how the earth now doesn't fit with a young point or young view mm-hmm. but and then the issue that I have with with that is that we say we teach our children say okay read the Bible and the Bible is in there at word of God mm-hmm. and when we see Genesis and we see all the other books of the Bible mm-hmm. and we say see this word day young and it's repeated thousands of times in the mm-hmm. Bible in this one chapter mm-hmm. or three chapters we say well don't worry about how long that day is just believe in Jesus Christ and everything's going to work out just fine mm-hmm. so <clears throat> I, there are other methods of, of looking at this mm-hmm. data and I find you know, we talk about the the 
the flood event. Mm -hmm. that's, that's a, that was a massive event. If we look at geology, we see mm -hmm. like the Dover Cliffs mm -hmm. of the English Channel that runs all the way across from from there all the way across to the, the North America and so forth. And all these, we see that layers of other things laid down similarly. Mm -hmm. So those things were obviously laid down by water, makes the most logic. And so then we see the Colorado River. Well, I mean, if you, a lot of water can do a lot and very, very quickly. It's not like there's just this little bit of water going through there all this time. So Mount, Mount St. Helens is a very good uh, example of that. I mean, there's, a, there's a canyon called Engineers Canyon. And if you were at that point in time, it doesn't look that way now, 30 years, 40 years later. I mean, there's vegetation also that's mm -hmm. regrown. But there's photographs of that. And it was, you know, 100 foot deep and so wide. And that was done in a matter of hours. Mm -hmm. So a lot of water can do a lot very, very, very quickly, mm -hmm. even over um, just a matter of, of, of a few days. So, and then, so there's, there's a lot. And then back to the uh, carbon radiometric dating, the problem with that is for those things to work accurately, they need to, you need to know what was there in order to determine the rate of decay. The problem is you don't know what was there to determine the rate of decay. So to say they've done tests where they take lava straight from a volcano, that should read zero, and they'll come back and say, well, it's several million years old, so it should read zero. Because the, and the reason for the error is they had to make all these assumptions as to how much stratonium or where the, the decaying elements were there, to say, okay, if X amount of these things is there, then at this point in time, we see this, and so here's the, the date range. The problem is you always have to have, make this assumption, and so I think there's a lot of error in that assumption there will read as well. So, so the, uh, the, the, the question and the comment, don't, let me make sure I get this right. First of all, it's, it's a, a good question. It's, okay, we have children, you know, who, who the Bible says it's a day in Genesis 1, how am I, you know, can't really understand a physics lesson. How are we going to communicate to them that this isn't necessarily right? And then an observation that, uh, you know, sometimes it doesn't take uh, eons in order for physical phenomenon to occur. Uh, so, and then a final comment on the, uh, the, the radi uh, radioactive uh, measurements. So I'll address all of those as best I can how to talk to your children about it. I don't have children, so I don't know. I would be horrible at that, but it's a problem for you. I can see that. <laughs> it would be a problem for me. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, things can erode very quickly, and uh, you mentioned the cliffs at Dover showing the floods and, and this type of thing. Absolutely correct. And so something else to factor into our calculus when we're trying to determine which one of these is it makes the most sense. The radiometric dating one, uh, you gave the example of the lava uh, actually, I'm not aware of any assumptions that, that are, have to be made. It could be my own ignorance. But actually, when we take a measurement of lava, lava is simply, is simply liquid rock. And so what we're taking a measurement of is the age of the rock that formed, got super hot and formed lava. And so I think those are typically <coughs> consistent. But there could be something in the radiometric uh, dating that I'm not aware of. So I think it's a valid point. Once again, uh, uh, we've got to look at all of the examples. We have to uh, uh, take into consideration what they may mean, what they may not mean, and, uh, and, and form for ourselves our, our best understanding. And once again, trying to discuss this, trying to understand how the earth was formed, trying to understand God's plan for us is a uh, valiant effort that we should spend a lot of time trying to do. If we can't exactly get to a 100% conclusion in something that the Bible is largely silent on, well, that shouldn't be anything that causes us any uh, consternation or, uh, or disagreement. And certainly, uh, as you uh, have these conversations with your family, uh, uh, you know, it, it's a difficult subject to be certain. Uh, and and I, would, uh, I, I would emphasize uh, uh, with your children and with your family members, uh, whatever is necessary in order for them to 
recognize uh, that they need to believe that uh, the Bible is the inspired Word of God and that He sent His Son to save us from our sins. And if we get that down and we act on that, then everything else like the age of the earth is going to become second place and, and a little more immaterial. It's a good comment. Any other questions or comments? Did he have one? All right, well, I thank you all. Uh, next week, I think we're going to uh, dig a little bit deeper into uh, physics, I think is the next, uh, the next lesson, and this will be a look at uh, where physics is mentioned in the Bible. And uh, be a little bit different for me, whereas uh, cosmology and uh, not cosmetology, uh, cosmology is a little bit more uh, creation of the earth and, and the age of the earth are, are subjects that we can pin down. Physics in the Bible is going to be a little bit different subject, and so uh, we will, uh, uh, John or I will give that a, a shot next week. So outside of that, if you want to come forward and tell me any uh, questions that you have, I'll hang around for a few minutes. Otherwise, we'll see you all next week.